All right. What's up, everyone? This is Ryan here with the uh, the yet-to-be-named podcast. I'm here with attorney at law, PhD, doctor, uh, Mr. Ben Byrne. How's it going, brother? Good to have you here. Pretty good, man. You you missed one. Um, chief scientist of NASA. Stealing Astrophysicist. Frank Kurtz. <laughs> Astrophysicist. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. Of course. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's good to have you as the inaugural guest here. We're going to get a little bit weird on this podcast, uh, this conversation. A lot of people probably think we would talk about, uh, you know, marketing, sales, copy, all that, all that jazz, the stuff that makes people money. But what I wanted to talk about and why I want to have you here was more so about some of your like more esoteric beliefs, uh, your weird beliefs, basically. And yeah. you're into, I don't even know how to define it because I'm not really in that realm. Uh, like you read a lot of books about like, manifestation energy eastern spirituality uh and i guess to jump right in i think like what's the like what made you get interested in all this stuff great question you know it all started 10 over 10 years ago when i was 20 i moved to calgary actually where you are right now obviously and my aunt i I was staying with her for a bit and she was kind of weird and she was like hey ben you should read this book it's called the autobiography of a yogi and you know, at the time I was at a young and impressionable age and I started reading this book and it was, it was talking about all kinds of crazy stuff like telepathy and all this weird stuff. If you ever read the book, you, you would know, but you know, I started diving into the whole spirituality stuff way back then, like mindfulness and Buddhism stuff. And I got lost way down the rabbit hole before I ever even thought about marketing. And I saw you reading that book. Uh, a few months back when, when you actually visited Calgary, that was the same book, right? Yeah. I, well, no, I think in Calgary, I was reading a different one. It was uh, stalking, stalking the wild pendulum by Itzhak Bentov, who he was, I saw that one, but I thought you had like a blue book. I can't even pronounce the guy's name, but. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a long name. Uh, Parma, it's a Yogananda, but anyway, yeah, I was reading, Stalking the Wild Pendulum, which is funny because my buddy Zulfikar, probably pronouncing his name wrong, he just posted this, uh, it was like a CIA document, which, you know, was from the 80s. They were talking about how they were teaching people to do like out-of-body experiences and stuff. And they kept mentioning this Itzhak Bentoff guy's book, which that, that was the one I was reading when we were out shooting videos in the mountains. Yeah, yeah. I do remember that one about the uh, the energy levels. So. Why don't we uh, actually start there and give guys a little primer on this book? Because this guy is, he's way out there, but some of his concepts, like, it's like we subconsciously know they're real, they exist, but we just don't know how to kind of verbalize them and put, uh, you know, thought to paper. So maybe that's where we can start is like levels of energy, maybe a little bit about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it was the levels of energy too. I was reading both of them. No, no. That's yeah, yeah. Because you you had both those books there. I kind of skip books, but yeah, we can start with that one because because that one was the one that to me was was more interesting. Like even I was kind of taking a look at it. I was like, yeah, it sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so levels of energy. Uh, I first heard about that book from I think probably RSD friggin' Owen <laughs> of all people. He kept talking about the energy, and then I was in a sales training back in March, and the guy who runs it, Eli Wild, he was obsessed with this book. I was like, you know what? Maybe I should read it. And that was when I first bought it. I think I read a book maybe two years ago, which is called Power Versus Force, which is the same kind of topic 
essentially what they did was they took the entire spectrum of human experiences and they ranked it on a scale, like a power scale from zero to a thousand. I think a thousand was like you know, Buddha or Jesus or something like that. And like zero is um, like, I don't know, like you'd probably be dead at zero. But essentially what happens is it like every, at every level it's associated with um, like a state of mind or an emotion. So for example, I think 50 is like apathy. So what they would say is like someone who is homeless is like apathetic at, at, at um, like 180, I think is um, fear or a hundred is fear. And then there's like above that it's anger. And it's really interesting because it let, it, it actually gives you the ability to look at events in the world and understand why they're happening. For example, like during the quarantine, you know, re- remember when the whole black lives matter stuff erupted. Obviously. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that next because uh, I think you were telling me there was certain levels of energy with like crowds and protests and things like that. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So with the whole thing with the levels of energy, um, like most people have this way of viewing the world. It's black and white. It's either good or bad. And what Frederick Dodson in that book says is you need to create spectrum thinking, right? Like it's not just good or bad, but like in the entire spectrum of experience, you know, it's, um, let me just give you a practical example. So when quarantine happened, um, everyone was, everyone was feeling what fear, right? So the level of fear is like a hundred, it's very low. And, um, we were there for maybe a few months and then, um, black lives matter just erupted after, you know, George, whatever his name was, was it George Floyd? I'm going to sound like an asshole here. I can't remember his name. Yeah. Ben, uh, Ben, it never watches the, the news. So yeah, it was, it was a uh, George Floyd as yeah. probably to his credit, actually probably to his credit. So I anyways. don't watch the news. It brings my energy yeah. down, bro. But yeah. Um, so anger is a level 160. So what, what is, what they say is like, it's not that anger is a bad thing. It depends what you're, you're you, like, like a thermostat. We all have a kind of our set point for our energy levels. Like, like some people, you know, they say like a scientist, like Albert Einstein was like a 400 and something, 499 or something like that. Very high. And some people, their set point is like an 80, which is like depression. But the whole thing is when that happened, the entire country went nuts, right? Not even the whole country, like other countries too. People were protesting here in Halifax in Canada, you know, which is crazy because anyway, not to go down that rabbit hole, but the whole thing is going from fear to anger. It's a boost. It goes from hundred to 160. So it feels good. So like anger can be a very positive tool to get you moving up the levels because as you move up, the higher you get, like the more, Basically, how he explains it in the levels of energy is that the more like energy you have in your body, the faster you can think, um, the, the more creativity you have. The basically you have more resources to like improve your life and all that sort of thing. So it's actually like from that perspective, it was pretty positive, I guess. Yeah, it's pretty interesting stuff, and I would I would bet like I've never you know read the book, but that the average person who's you know plugged into the societal conditioning matrix might be on like a lower level of whatever, like whether you want to call it consciousness or, or energy. Did you talk about that at all? Yeah. So what they say is that basically over the last, I think hundred years, the world went from a 190 to a 200 
And if we, 200 is the, the break even point, basically everything below 200 is negative. It's um, what's the word? It's like everything above 200 is basically life affirming. You have more energy, but if you're under 200, you're, you're probably going to get sick and stuff like that. But they basically said, if we hadn't, if we hadn't as an entire species ascended above 200, we would have just wiped ourselves out from nuclear war or something like that. The average person, you know, well, it's hard to say what the average person is because it depends on different where you, where you live. You can't even say like the average American because there's parts of America, which as you know, are like third world country, like, like a third world country. And there's parts that are really advanced. Right. So, you know, it's, it's hard to say, but I think you probably wouldn't even be interested in the levels of energy, even the book, if you didn't have a, a higher energy level, not to like brag or anything, but you know, it's most people, yeah. Like when you're at a certain levels of energy, you you can only think about certain things like other, like you can hear stuff and it just won't penetrate. It's like you have a, a dull force field around you, you know, it's not to like put people down or anything, but that's kind of what it's like. Yeah. It's like anything in life, right? Where it's like, there's like a bell curve where, you know, in terms of IQ, you don't have, you know, everybody at one end of the spectrum. There's kind of like a bell curve for how things go. But for those of you, or for those people who, let's say like they're on like the lower level of, of energy spectrum, right? Like they're, they're a little bit in their head, uh, low levels of consciousness, you know, is, is ascending in terms of energy levels. Is that mostly about their mindset, their attitude? Like what would you sort of prescribe to someone who's like struggling with that kind of thing with it, which is what a lot of people struggle with. Yeah. Good question. So you're basically asking how, how do you raise yourself up? Yeah, because, you know, obviously, as you were saying, you know, if you aren't already at a high level of energy, you might not be interested in this stuff, right? You might be, you know, plugged in and obviously he might not use the same word, but like like societal conditioning plugged into the matrix, if you want to call it that, Um, you know, like what's the way of like ascending and kind of, you know, shaking yourself out of that state, whatever state you're stuck in. Is it just an issue of, of mindset? Is it beliefs? What is it? Because like we as marketers, again, you know, we constantly ask ourselves or, or business owners, not just marketers, like, what do I have to do? Uh, you know, as you say, without asking, who do I need to be? So, you know, what's the way to kind of shift yourself out of that state? Yeah. So I, I think there's, there's like a hard way to do it and probably an easier way to do it. So for me, if I think back over my entire life, like I grew up in like pretty shitty part of town, you know, like I grew up in the ghetto. I remember our house was broken into multiple times and it was just like a not great work, not work environment, but living environment, you know, it was, it was shitty. Um, so if I look back, I'm like, I can see clearly that I've, I've gone from like very low, you know, when I was like a, a young teenager, like super, like super weird and awkward and like, just didn't want to talk to people and all the way up to like where I am now, which who knows. <laughs> so um, the long story is I would say like pick a path. So when I was, when I was like early twenties, uh, I just, I determined like my life was kind of not going in the direction I wanted to go. Right. So like, hopefully if you're younger than 20, you, you get on this now, but I, I picked a path that I could, you know, have a bit of self mastery. So I remember I made a very conscious decision to start like going to the gym and it was just a, a tiny thing, right? Just start working out. And then that led to, you know, starting to eat a little bit better. And then, you know what? I, 
like I started getting that part handled and then I was doing better in my relationships, you know, um, from there I started going to school and then in school, like I went to school for engineering and I ended up reading a bunch of business books and determining I hate engineering. And then that really led me down the path as to where I am today. So if I start, if you, if you think of like your life, there's usually like a golden thread that you can trace back to all these different events in your life. And for me, the biggest one was just taking that step of, you know, disciplining myself and starting to, you know, get one part of my life handled. So I say, if you can get some part of your life handled, it's going to spill out into other parts of your life. And as a byproduct, your energy level will increase. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's, it's crazy. The effect that just lifting and getting your health better, you know, how that impacts every aspect of your life. Like there were periods of like months where I didn't go to the gym. My, my energy was always, was always so much lower just from that alone. Right. And then when you couple in, you know, just like the mental aspect, it's crazy the kind of impact that you can actually have in yourself. But I think the problem is a lot of guys they're they're at zero and they don't see a way to get from zero to to even one, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's like a it's like a step by step thing where it's like they just don't see a way out. But taking that first step is is obviously the most important aspect. Yeah, you know, if if I think I I would say I got kind of lucky, you know, as far as the genetic lottery, um, like my my mom. You know, you know her. She's God love her. She's um, she she has what I would call a, a poverty mindset. You know, but my dad, he was kind of the opposite. He was always building businesses, and you know, he was always in sales and just doing big things and traveling. And I kind of got exposed to that at like a young age. So even when you know, <laughs> like even as bad as it got for me, I always had this kind of example of what was possible because I remember when I was a kid like a teenager I would be flying out to Toronto like in grade two and we would be like taking helicopter rides around Toronto and we would be like going out and renting like test driving Jaguars and stuff and just doing really cool stuff so it's like the whole going from zero to one thing I didn't know how to do it but I knew it was possible I think that's a big thing like if you if you truly believe something is possible you will find out how to do it Yeah. So what would you say if someone, you know, doesn't have that kind of uh, beneficial environment that they're raised in, right? Like, let's say they're, because like, I wasn't raised in like, in poverty, right? I had a middle-class family, but neither of my parents were super entrepreneurial and they they did have a scarcity mindset about things, right? It was all about saving penny pinching. So what would you say to someone who's who's starting in that kind of environment? Uh, Well, we live in a great time. You know, you, you have access to some of the greatest minds who have ever lived. You know, there's this cool thing called the library. There's books. There's there's countless people who who talk about money beliefs. Uh, I think the biggest thing for me was starting to read people people's books like Dan Kennedy, right? Some of his books like um, No BS Wealth Attraction really was like mind-altering in terms of how I viewed money. And, um, you know, I still... I still think of some of the principles he talked about when like I'm talking to clients today in, in terms of how to price themselves, you know, so start off with books. If you can, if you can pay someone like a coach or a mentor, I mean, that's probably the, the quickest hack, like hack. 
Yeah. But like, let's say like someone again, like, because uh, I know you wrote here in the chat, like the mission identity, beliefs, thoughts, feelings, actions, and environment. But let's say someone, you know, they don't know about this stuff, right? But they're listening to this podcast now. And what's like the number one piece of advice you give to someone? And I, I, I hate asking these kind of questions, but uh, for someone that is at zero, right? Like, is it just mm. to view things as like in a, as an, in abundance versus scarcity? Like, what's like the number one thing you would tell guys? Yeah, so th- th- that's a good question. So it's it's kind of hard to think in abundance when you're in total scarcity. So I would say the the first thing you should start doing is if you are starting from absolute zero, is start learning a skill, um, start improving a skill, uh, whether it's copywriting or whether it's web design or SEO or sales or whatever, some kind of skill like that, it's going to go a long way, especially if you can get paid for it, right? If you can get clients or if you can work for other people and get some experience. And then um, from there, kind of like start chaining together other skills. That's that's really what business is all about. You know, if you think about the five parts of any business, you got lead generation, and then lead indoctrination, where you turn those leads into sales calls and then sales itself, and then delivering your service and then the back end stuff. Those are all really just different skills, right? So some people make the mistake of buying like a copywriting course and then, you know, they're promised the world like, oh, you're going to make seven figures with this copywriting course. And they buy it and then they go through it and next thing they know, they don't have seven figures and they're like, that was a scam. Well, no, you just didn't. You, copywriting is only one part of the skill it takes to be successful. So like the first things first is just start taking momentum, you know, and probably the easiest thing is just start building on skills because that's going to improve your confidence. You're going to eventually get to the point where you're ready to start helping people making money. Yeah. And I think a big thing is to define for yourself what a small win means, right? Like when you're starting out, some people think a a win is like making 10K a month, right? But it's going to be hard to build momentum that way. Whereas if you make a small win, making an offer, right? Learning a skill, reading one book one day, right? It's going to compound over time. Hmm. Um, so just focusing on small wins versus, you know, home runs, right? To use a baseball uh, kind of analogy, which is terrible because I don't even I don't even watch the sport. I don't even know the rules. But uh, yeah. anyways, yeah, you're making um, you know rather than going for the hole in one, you're making small pots or something. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a big sports guy either. Um, yeah, and I don't even think we have like a, a hockey metaphor for uh, for that. But anyways, yeah. what I actually yeah. want to go back to quickly because because we kind of skipped it was the Eastern spirituality stuff because. I'm pretty interested in it. Um, and I read this book a few weeks back uh, by James Nestor. Um, and he talks about Swami Rama. And I was like, there, there's no way this is real. Like, this is what Ben talks about. He bullshits me all the time <laughs> about this kind of stuff. Um, so I, I guess the thing I would ask to you is like, how much of what you read about Eastern spirituality do you think is is, is based in fact? Uh, you know, how much is based in, in bullshittery? And I guess we can start there yeah. because it's a pretty interesting topic. And a lot it's, of guys yeah. who are listening to this are like, are kind of interested in that esoteric stuff. So, yeah. So when I was 20, like the reason why I got so deep in this is because, uh, like I said, I moved to Calgary and Calgary is a much higher e- economic status place than Halifax, right? Like I was suddenly making good money for the first time in my life before I was, I was making like, I would work at Harvey's. <laughs> it's my first job and, you know, flipping burgers or free hamburgers. Whatever. probably. Yeah. Not even my boss is a prick. Uh, and if you're listening to this, fuck you. <laughs> but um, yeah, like 
what, what I, I put myself through a thought experiment where it was like, imagine I suddenly just had all the money I would ever need. Right. And it was money was just never an issue for me. Like what, what else is there to life? You know? Okay. Like, let's say I have a bunch of kids and I have an awesome family and I've traveled every single place. Well, what else is there? There has to be some deeper purpose to all of this. Right. So I, that's really what, what even got me started thinking about this. And that was right around the same time that my aunt gave me that book. Um, so it's, for me, it's, it's hard to say 100% what is, what is true and what's not, because there's some, to be frank, like some crazy stuff that you'll read in some of these Eastern spirituality books, especially Swami Rama's books. It's funny you bring them up because I, I read one of his books a few years ago called the science of breathing, relatively innocent title, but he starts talking about like telepathy and like uh, all sorts of weird stuff in it. Right. So uh, we have to look at the facts. So, for example, Swami Rama, they, they hooked him up to in, in like a very reputable lab. And he was able to do all these crazy things, which the average person is not able to do. Now, if you look at someone like Wim Hof, he's kind of a modern day example of that. He can do some kind of almost superhuman feats, but he'll tell you and everyone else will tell you that he's basically a normal dude. Um, I think if you look at the book, like I said, I, I read the, the autobiography of a yogi. When he died uh, in 1956, he his body it didn't decompose for like 20 days, I think, which is you know I'm not sure how long it takes the average body to decompose, but it's it's probably like three or four days. You start smelling it at least, and they said for 20 days he you couldn't even smell anything, and then he started developing like a tiny little thing on his nose, like a de- uh, like he was decomposing. But um, so I think that's so maybe there is something to it, you know. Like if you read the levels of energy, yeah. it goes into this, all kinds of weird stuff. You know, it's like if your if your level of energy is above a five hundred, he's like you can be in in an explosion and you walk away unharmed. You're like, okay, well, like I have no way to test that. You know, so whether or not unless it's someone's true, willing to be like an explosion, y- y- yeah. Well, first of all, how are you going to know that you're at that energy level? But the thing is, you have to take what's useful and discard what's not. Right. Well, so. I know how you're at that energy level. It's like a super saiyan. <laughs> Your hair turns blonde. You're like the only blonde, like Indian dude walking around. Well, yeah. And uh, my hair turned gray. So I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I'm there. Your energy levels exceeded 2000. 2000 so yeah. Yeah. I mean, just quickly about Swami Rama for people who don't know, like, like the one I read about was, he was changing the temperature in his hands, wasn't he? Like his hands, or was it in one hand and it had different temperatures in certain spots? Yeah. I can't remember the exact kind of thing. That, and he was making his heart beat at over 300 beats per minute, which is supposed to be like impossible. Yeah, because when you do that, it yeah. leads to, to, to cardiac arrest, but he he maintained uh, like a calm state, right? Yeah. And there are all kinds, if you read the, the freaking autobiography of a yogi book or there's all kinds of yogi books out there, but I, I've read a lot of them, let me tell you. And there's a lot of stories of like people being in such deep meditation where their heart stops, their breath stops. And, but there it's like, they're in like suspended animation. And there's a story of this one guy who was meditating on the, uh, on the bank of a river and he was in some kind of samadhi or whatever they call it and then a huge flood came through washed him away and basically a few weeks later villagers like were digging and they they found him under you know under the mud 
it's like, oh, he should be dead. Or they hit him with a shovel and he just kind of like pops up and he's just kind of like, oh, hey guys. And he's like, takes off, you know? So uh, yeah, it's interesting stuff. But yeah, like, like my dad used to tell stories. me, yeah, my dad used to tell me it's one thing to be interesting, but it's like, how does it actually help you? So yeah, there's a hundred percent crazy stories. What's the, and just the kind of, because like the stuff is crazy and for guys who might not have read this stuff, you said there was like a stories of guys who, they live like super long, right? Or they're buried underground for like a hundred years and they come up and they're fine. Or maybe yeah. it's something different, but maybe just kind of expand on that while we're on this, uh, this interesting topic here. Yeah. So I think the when it comes to that stuff, you know, a, a really interesting book you can read is like the masters of the far East. It's uh, it's broken up into four or five books, basically about this guy who, um, in the 1800s, they, they traveled to India. It's like a small team of people uh, from the States or maybe from London or something like that. And they went to study these masters. And some of these guys have claimed to be around for a couple hundred years, you know, claimed to be alive. Um, all kinds of stories about that. You know, I've read this autobiography by a guy named um, Sri M or something like that. It was basically his autobiography. And he's telling how his guru guy was like 250 years old. And like, he asked him, he's like, Hey, how come you're not dead? <laughs> basically. Right. He, he looked like he was like a 40 or something like that. And he basically said it was a mix of proper diet, which is funny. And, um, Kaya Kalpa, which is like an ancient Ayurvedic practice, which means body transformation. I think that's what the, uh, the, the translation means. Yeah. There are like undoubtedly some, probably some exaggerated claims, but there's also a lot of things that have been proven by science, uh, like in actual labs. Um, like, I, I don't know if they've proven it, but there's like a breathing exercise called TUMO, I believe. And it's been proven, right? Like guys have actually studied it. Um, so it's like, there are some weird things, but at the same point, you know, I guess this would be my question to you is like, what do you think is, you know, people can take away from kind of like this Eastern spirituality kind of stuff? Yeah. So like the biggest thing that you'll, you'll kind of pick up if you do meditation and if you read these books and if you start practicing some of the stuff is like an overall better sense of well-being. You know, if, if you get present to the moment as like, you know, like Eckhart Tolle talks about or something like that, that's huge. You know, if, if, if you think about your average day, how many thoughts for the average person are negative, it's, it's over 90%, I think. Right. So if you can just interrupt that process, you have so much more mental power to dedicate to things that actually can help you. Like whether that's studying or, you know, read books or whether it's doing revenue generating activities in your business, you know, there's, there's a lot that can go into it, whether or not you become um, enlightened or you, you know, you, you gain the ability to, I don't know, teleport or whatever, <laughs> whatever these people say they can do. Uh, that part is just kind of like bonus, but I think being able yeah. to have control over your thoughts and feelings is really like one of the biggest superpowers you could ever have. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Having like negative thought patterns is like one of the most destructive things uh, to, to people in general, not just entrepreneurs. Um, I would love to keep talking about like Eastern spirituality stuff and we'll have to come back and do like another podcast specifically on it. But there's so many things that I wanted to talk about because uh, you have a lot of like esoteric kind of knowledge. And one of the books that I actually saw you reading recently that, that I'm interested in finding more about is, uh, I can't remember the name. I think it's called the Silva Mind Control Method. <laughs> I would love to know about that book. Yes. Yeah, I have because it right next to me. 
for you guys who don't know, Ben's been telling me for weeks to buy this book. He's been raving about it. So uh, yeah. I kind of want to find out a little bit what it's about. So yeah, great. I have it literally right here. It's like in my hand. This is literally turning into like a book review podcast, but still, I think it's pretty interesting. So anyways. Well, it, it's cool. You know, so I, I also went and bought the Silva Mind Control Method for sales. Now, Silva Mind Control Method, basically what it does is this guy named Jose Silva back in the 40s, I think he developed this method of you know, relaxing your, your mind. So the whole thing is um, in terms of brain wave patterns, you know, like the average, your, your waking consciousness, it's a beta brain wave. And then when you're kind of going to sleep or when you're concentrated in meditation, it's, it goes into alpha, right? It's a bit slower. It slows down. Um, basically the, the part of your brain that's constantly talking and it won't shut up that part of your brain kind of, it, it, it doesn't turn off, but it kind of like revs down. Right. And then the whole idea of the book is that if you can go into that state, like your best thinking happens in, in alpha or in theta or delta, which is if you can go, Basically, what they say is if you can get into those deeper states of mind while you're still awake, usually they happen when you're asleep, when you're dreaming or when you're in deep sleep, when you do basically, which is Delta, you'll have, um, well, it's like super mind control powers. So, for example, they say like if you're in alpha, you can you can almost have like photographic memory. You can remember exactly, you know, there's, there's stories in there about people who have like had to catch a flight in a few hours and they couldn't find a plane ticket. And then they went and they did like a 10 minute thing to go into their level as they call it in the book. And then they're like, Oh, the, the ticket is between two boots in my closet. And they went, they found it, you know, it's, it's cool. It's so for like learning things faster for relaxing yourself for focusing. Um, I think it's really powerful. Just, Another book just I read quickly, recently. Yeah. Sorry, just super quickly about that. Like, and that's something that again, seems kind of woo, woo but you can definitely see it as being possible, right? As when you get into a certain kind of kind of mental state, you tap into your subconscious or things that you remember, but you just forgot because the fact is like our mind has to prioritize, right? So when you access these other states, you can access other information that you might've forgot. So I can definitely see this stuff as, even though it sounds kind of woo woo being, you know, 100% legit. Yeah. Well, there's the thing about it is that over 500,000 people have, taken the silver mind control method course. It kind of disappeared after the eighties. I think I just kind of randomly found it, um, which is kind of weird. I, I always find random cool books, like the book of the five rings. Uh, I remember finding that one at like value village, which is like a, just randomly. I was like, Oh, that book looks interesting. It turns out it's like this amazing book, but um, yeah, I think Ben yeah. goes to like the, uh, like the basement section of, of the libraries. Yeah. He has like an animated librarian. He's like, just, just take me to the money room. And she goes <laughs> some downstairs, to like the Illuminati yeah. books and, and things like that. Yeah. I'm just drawn to the weird ones for sure. Uh, if you look at my bookshelf, there's it's full of them, but yeah, like the silver mind control method, man, like one of the things, you know, we get some of our clients to do like a bit of affirmations, you know, and uh, affirmations are good if you do them enough because it's kind of like reprograms your mind for more success. So we can go into that really deep. But one of the things is some people do affirmations wrong where they're like, I am a millionaire. <laughs> I am this, I am that. When their mind is like, no, you're not like bullshit. And it just kind of shuts it off. Right. That's, but if you're able to go into that like deeper level of mind, when you're in alpha, basically what, what happens is, you know, when we, when we receive information, it doesn't just go into our entire brain. We're like, we have our left brain and our right brain. 
first of all, it goes into our left brain and then there's like a filter. It's either, it it either passes through the filter or it doesn't, right? So if you're like, I'm a millionaire (laughs) or I am something that basically you're something you're not, that filter will be like, no, bullshit, you're not. And then it'll, it'll kind of, that's where it'll end. The affirmation will work. But if you're able to go into that relaxed state, that filter kind of drops a bit. So it's able to pass through to your right brain, which it's kind of like your subconscious. It just accepts things as they are. It's like, okay, this is true. And then, you know, weird things will start happening to you. Like, for example, I remember when I first started doing affirmations, believe me, I was the most anti-affirmation person in the world. Like I thought it was just complete BS. And anyway, like I started doing them one night. (laughs) Um, And I remember my cat was looking at me because I looked like an idiot and I felt like an idiot. But um, I felt this like weird tingling sensation all over my body after it. I was like, wow, that was, that was weird. And then I remember specifically like saying one affirmation, just like, Oh, everything I touch turns to gold. Or like I have the Maya's touch or something like that. And then it was like 20 minutes later, one of my friends reached out to me and he's like, Ben, it's like everything you touch turns to gold these days. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, it was so weird. Uh, and you know, it's I'm not sh- sure if that's, I feel like we need like a cut in of Joe Rogan going, Whoa, dude. Whoa. Yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, not that that really explains why affirmations are so great, but I think there's something to it. You know, I I can't really explain what that, what it is. So the question I have is, and I was reading this book called uh, The Little Book of Clarity, and he basically says that affirmations are are cool, right? And they're great. Um, But they are like a short term fix because once you stop saying them, it's like, does the effect wear off? Does it even matter anymore? Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So like, I think if it's something that you have to continually affirm like every single day, like it's probably not going to work. I think it's, it is a short term fix because like we, we are always, you know, kind of like version one of ourselves and we're trying to get to version two. Right. Right. So if version one of Ben Byrne is someone who struggles to, you know, make 10 K in his business, someone who, only goes to the gym once a week and even that's painful. And someone who is nervous and not confident, you know, version two is a Ben, let's say he makes 50 K per month easily and he's super confident, super, you know, energetic, goes to the gym five times a week, no problem. This and that wakes up at 5am crushes the day. Well, I think affirmations are kind of like a little kickstart to get you closer to that version 2.0. But once you're there, if you're already making the five, 50k per month or whatever the number is or whatever it is your, your goal is it doesn't make sense to keep doing the same affirmations like yes it's just like like it's just kind of like your new normal right it's not it's not like i would affirm every day that i'm a human being and my name is ben right yeah and i i think one of the things that people have to focus on too is you know like affirmations are great i'm not saying they're bad obviously that they work we recommend them to our clients but it's just to learn to make better internal decisions like when you have a thought instead of just letting that thought affect you it's like asking yourself why do i have this thought and what's the correct thought and kind of going through these internal processes um as more like a long-term fix and affirmations um but just to go back to uh the different kind of kind of brain waves right so would you say that getting into the right state uh is the key to being able to learn better right being better at learning to receive better information and, and also to get in the right state for working and producing Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. So 
Um, I, I read this great book recently. It's called Bliss Brain by a guy named Dawson Church. And um, basically what he says in the book is they, they've done studies. So when it comes to you know meditation, the effects last for 24 hours at least, right? So your, your concentration, it's kind of like you take a, a supplement for your concentration and your focus and your ability to learn and retain information, right? It, and your creativity, they say your, your, your ability to problem solve increases by 490%, right? And I guess problem solving is just another form of creativity. So, you know, what they say in the silver mind control method is if you can go to that alpha level and stay there, right? You can, you can basically train yourself to go there throughout the day. Uh, and then anything you learn there, you, you can basically instantly recall it. Um, using a technique that they that they talk about, basically it's like a form of anchoring. If you're familiar with NLP, so you yeah. Can, so that was going to be my next question. Is like we kind of talked about it, but like, what's the best way to get into like an alpha state? Yeah. So it's something you have to train. Just, just quickly, because some guys will recommend that when you're doing meditation, you listen to certain music to get you into alpha state. But I think you were saying the other day that it doesn't really work as good. Yeah. So. Alpha state, it's something that usually happens when we're going to bed or just waking up, right? So we do our best thinking in alpha, but we don't spend most of our time in alpha. We spend most of it in beta if we're awake. So there are a few things which kick your brain out of alpha and into beta, which, you know, if you open your eyes and if you, as soon as you focus your eyes on something, right now I have the sun coming in my eyes, but if, as soon as I'm focusing on that, that is ramping up my brain waves. Uh, you know, so the way to train it is, well, I, I've just been following the method that they teach in the silver line control method, which basically every morning it takes about 40 days to do this, I think, or maybe 50 and I'm almost done it right now. I, I have nine more days to go, but basically, um, what you do is you wake up first thing. As soon as you wake up, you're still in alpha, you, Go use a washroom if you have to, but then you go lay, lay down and then you kind of close your eyes. You you look up at like a 20 degree angle and then you count backwards from 100 to 1, like uh, at about a two second kind of interval, like 100, 99, and so on and so forth. When you get to zero, uh, the goal is not to fall asleep, but to kind of get into a state of relaxed concentration. And then what they do is get you to picture something like imagine like a screen in your mind, picture something very simple, like an apple or an orange, something that you can kind of rotate and make it almost three dimensional for you and uh, really work on that power of just focusing on that one thing and also creating like a, a really powerful vis visualization thing. Because, you know, a lot of this manifestation stuff comes down to your ability to visualize stuff. You know, if you've, if you've ever gone through any law of attraction stuff, Yeah. So that was actually going to be, an, again, another question is like, wh what are your thoughts on manifestation? Like, like yeah. we know that people, you know, they say they can manifest things, but what do you really think that manifestation is? Is it just like a fundamental rewiring, a rewiring of your beliefs that leads to the right actions? Or is there something more to it? Right. And this is, again, this is kind of like an esoteric question, but it's stuff that, you know, I'm super interested in personally. Yeah. So if I think about the book levels of energy, they say, you know, he says a lot, it's more of like, rather than 
when it comes to goal setting, there's two ways to achieve a goal. One, you can focus on the things you have to do, or two, you can focus on the person you need to be to attract that situation into your life. Personally, um, I haven't really experienced, well, that's not true, but I haven't totally experienced, you know, rewiring my beliefs and suddenly making more money. But what I found is that you can give two people the same scripts, the same tactics, the same strategies, and they can get radically different results. And the reason why is basically because it comes down to who they are, right? So one person, you might give them the exact same sales script as another guy, but they might be nervous. They might not be confident in themselves. Their energy might be weird. They might have weird thoughts going on. They might be distracted, right? The other person might be present 100% fully in the moment. They might be you know, calm, assured, you know, they might have uh, all that stuff going for them and they look at completely different results. So it's, I think it's a mix. So it's like being able to increase your levels of energy, whatever that might mean to you, maybe read the book, but still it's not just about increasing your levels of energy or changing who you are. You have to keep doing things, but you'll find that as you, create a more empowering identity, the tactics work better, right? Like you can give someone who's, I can give a homeless guy the perfect sales script and I can give someone who's like, I don't know, an arbitrary, let's say a power level 400, whatever that means, right? A homeless guy might be 50 versus a 400, completely different results, right? Um, it comes in, a lot of it comes down to other intangible things. And I think so that's would I'm you doing. say, and we talk about this a lot, how there's like a hierarchy basically of, of things that drive you, right? Your, again, like your, uh, your beliefs, values, your identity, and then your mission. So do you think that a lot of manifestation comes down to having a mission, right? Having a, like a vision that actually pulls you towards it, that makes you have the right beliefs, have the right actions and be the right person capable of achieving that mission? Yeah. Absolutely. So there's the only word you didn't, you didn't mention there, which is the, the key ingredient is expectations, right? Um, if you don't expect something to be possible, it'll never happen for you because for one, if, if I have a zero X, let's say I'm going to go talk to a girl, assuming I'm single again, I see a, a good looking girl at wherever. If I don't expect that she might be potentially interested in me, I would never go over and talk to her. Right. It's likewise, if I never expected that I can make like a million dollar business, I would never start. So there's three things. One, you have to have desire, enough desire that, yes, I actually really want this result, whether it's to get in great shape, get a great girlfriend or a wife or whatever, or to make a lot of money in business. Start with desire. Everyone, everyone seems to know that part. The second part, which is a bit trickier, is the belief. Belief it's possible for you. Right. And that's usually why people hire coaches because they need to borrow their belief because they don't have it for themselves. Usually because nobody in your life has that belief, right? Maybe they don't have a lot of entrepreneurs in their family or whatever. I think you and I were kind of lucky enough to have some of it inherently. I'm not sure where it came from. Maybe for me, for my dad, from you, I don't, I don't know. Uh, but the other, the, the third ingredient is the expectation that it is possible. And if I do this, these actions, I will get the result, and uh, all together, those three parts make like a magical kind of formula. Yeah, I think it's important. I know for me, it wasn't so much 
that I had the belief it was more, I had this like this external, I don't know what you want to call it, like a like mission to just, you know, achieve freedom and stop doing what I was doing because I hated it so much, right? Which is also a, a powerful factor, just having like the mission that you want to achieve. Um, would you say like there's a, like that some people have to walk a fine line between, you know, having the expectation and the self-belief and being delusional? Um, because like I wrote before, right. And I took some flack from it that I think dumb people make good entrepreneurs and not because they're, they're dumb just because they have like this ruthless, uh, self-belief. Right. But I'm wondering if there's like a fine line. Some people might walk a little too far close to like the delusion, which might hamper their success. Right. Cause they'll follow this idea so far down the line and then it's actually like a shitty idea. You know, uh, it's a funny point, but I do agree that dumb people tend to make better entrepreneurs. You know, for myself, I was, I wouldn't classify myself as a genius by any means, but you know, I, 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 I passed engineering. I, I'm not the dumbest person in the world and I was able to, you know, learn a lot, but my biggest barrier was always myself. I, I thought the next, you know, to, to reach the next level, I just needed to learn more stuff dumb people you'll tell them what to do and they're like okay they'll go do it all right and like they, they don't have the, and it's like they're not dumb but they don't have the any reason to question their own beliefs it's like well oh he it's said i can do it like, i'm gonna go do it and then it just works and then guess what they make a lot of money yeah no i agree and i was gonna say just to your point there that it's about conditioning right it's like when parents constantly tell their kids when they're young like no you can't have this no you can't do that you know, don't speak to strangers. I think this actually fundamentally alters your belief when you're older so that when you're doing things, you're like, you know what? No, I can't do this because you have that conditioning since you were a kid. Yeah. And I'm not saying don't set boundaries, but you know, you should let your kids have some more freedom because you have to realize that you're going to impact them when they're older, when they have zero (laughs) self-belief. Yeah. So I, I guess I never really had that as a kid. I remember living in PEI and when, like when I was five, <laughs> I, I could have got kidnapped when this happened. I was driving down a bike I'm, or driving down a hill on my bicycle and there was a big pothole in the, at the bottom of the hill and I hit it and I went flying over my handlebars and basically landed in the middle of the street and some car stopped and was like, are you okay? I was like, oh, I'm hurt. And they're like, do you want us to drive you home? And I was like, okay. And I just hopped right in. So nobody really told me not to talk to strangers when I was a kid because I think it was just a different time. <laughs> anyway, that's the story yeah, of I could have been kidnapped. That. Yeah. Not to mention that that's, that's East Coast Canada. That's right. True. The people might be drunks, but they are uh, they're they're pretty friendly. <laughs> Some of them. But yeah, I think that's I think that's a good a good point, right? Like self belief as a kid is huge, mm. and I see it in like in school nowadays with teachers who uh, I saw this with my brother actually is, you know, he couldn't focus in school and. You know, now we know it's because he just hated it, right? Uh, he loves what he's doing now. You know, he fights, he, he training in Muay Thai. He loves it. Spends all his time, like, watching fight tapes, studying that. Um, but he was in school. Teachers would say, like, you know, you have ADD. Like, you're slow. Uh, you should be dropped down to class level because, you know, we had, like, academic and applied. And, you know, it, for, for years, it kind of ruined his self-belief because teachers would tell him, like, you're not good enough. Yeah. Right? So, from, like, birth between our parents uh, kids, coaches, or uh, teachers and coaches, you know, were told that we're not good enough. And this really honestly destroys like your mindset. I agree. You know, 
I, I think, come to think of it, I honestly think that the reason why, like, I, I failed grade seven. It wasn't because I was dumb, but because I, I moved three times that year. And uh, I, I only went to school for like half a year just because I hated my school. It was in the ghetto anyway. And I always felt dumb after, but, you know, <laughs> the whole self-belief thing, I think there's part of me that's always been a bit, um, maybe, I'm not sure if narcissistic is the word, but if someone would tell me that I'm dumb, I would just be like, no, I'm not like, <laughs> fuck you. You know, there's a part of me that was always just, just like, whether it's in school, there's all, I remember ever since I was a little kid, just hearing things from adults and be like, that's stupid. Like, I don't believe that. Like, you know, just not blindly accepting what people have told me, you know, I think that's one of the things if you, if you're so, if you're so kind of caught up in what the authorities in your life are telling you, you have to do this and you have to do that and you have to think this way. That's probably where most people honestly get stuck. And if you think of that little book of clarity, like you mentioned, that's the contaminated thinking. It's usually from other people. Yeah. Uh, it's usually like something related to, again, like how you were raised or, you know, your family or even your social circle. I mean, like we talk about this a lot, but just to kind of switch topics a little bit, like what do you advise guys do and, you know, who have like a group of friends who's not like super, um, like they aren't super motivating. They don't uh, push you to greatness. They kind of laugh at you when you say you're going to do X, right? And X being built business or whatever, like... I know you have a group of friends who aren't building businesses, right? Just because it's like your your time off from work. But what do you tell guys who are like super, super in a or who are in a super toxic circle? Hmm. You know, <laughs> it's funny. People will always tell you like you are the average of the five people you hang out with most, and there's a lot of truth to that. You know, but <laughs> it's like if you have toxic friends, you have to cut them out of your life. And toxic family, I think entrepreneurship is a bit of a cult because if you look at a cult, most of them will tell you anyone who doesn't believe in the flying spaghetti monster is a non-believer and you have to cut them out. So um, I would say just like understand and set, like you mentioned earlier, boundaries, right? So like when you're with those friends, you know, understand you're not going to talk to them about business stuff. Maybe you're just going to shoot the shit, go get drunk on (laughs) a weekend or, you know, whatever you like to do. But then find people who are going to kind of support you and have similar goals and they're on the same kind of path. I think that there's a, there's a lot of uh, value in that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And one of the things that I'm big on too is like, I'll be friends with guys who might not excel at business, but excel in other areas, right? They're uh, super in shape fitness guys uh they're good fathers good parents um they excel in other areas because like that's how you become a well-rounded person right like there is something to be said about being in a good echo chamber like or echo chamber like if you're in like an entrepreneurial community but you know you have to become a a well-rounded person otherwise you're going to be like mark zuckerberg right super rich but he's a complete dork right probably doesn't excel in other areas of his life he's not in shape uh he's probably a weirdo Right. So it's important about to, kind to of block. We're about to get blocked. Yeah. We love you. He already has, he already has enough reasons to block me and now he's going to block me again, but no, like, you know, <laughs> you want to be a well-rounded person and surround yourself with friends who are like that. <clears throat> but there is also something to be said for like, if you're just starting out, I would probably be a bit more ruthless about cutting off bad friends 
toxic friends yeah. who are not going to kind of push you to do great things. But totally. after you get established, right, you can be a friend with people who aren't, you know, excelling in business. Well, yeah, it's kind of like um, if you were trying to blast off a rocket ship, you know, when you, when you think of starting a business, it's kind of like you starting from ground zero. It's you got a lot of pushing to do. And anything on a rocket ship that's increasing the drag needs to go, right? So whether that's your friends or your shitty habits or um, any number of things, your environment, maybe you live in a crack house, I don't know. <laughs> um, you you got to make an effort to fix that first. And, you know, the more you can cut out, the more negative inputs you can cut out of your life, the faster that rocket ship will go, right? And then, yeah, once you get to the part where you hit the orbit, where your business is kind of, it's it's not starting out, but you're making a good income every month. Sure, maybe you hang out with them once a week if you want, or or not once a week, but like from time to time. But if they're total assholes and they're always like putting you down and stuff, just yeah, for sure, cut them out. You know. Yeah, and you know, this actually goes back to another topic I was I was talking about yesterday. Is and it, it's kind of like a weird segue, but you'll you'll get me in a second it is like the concept of of open loops and if you don't know what those are they're basically like mental contracts or just contracts that you haven't closed yet and i think a big one that a lot of guys make and they don't realize is is social time right like they'll have friends that they don't really like that they agreed to hang out with um mm-hmm. even though they don't want to right and it eats away at their mind because they're like oh, i really don't want to but i have to um honestly one of my best pieces of advice for you know, current or future entrepreneurs is to limit your open loops, right? Stop saying yes to future obligations if you don't really care about them. Mm-hmm. Um, because what's going to happen is they're going to completely cloud your vision. They're going to take up your your mental bandwidth and they're going to reduce your mental RAM, like your processing power. Um, and a lot of these, uh, and a lot of open loops go back to like your social ties, right? Friends, family, whatever that you don't really want, that you don't really care about. Yeah, that that's it's really huge, and it's something that you kind of hit it right on with the whole decreasing your mental RAM. You know, you know, I found there's there's open loops in all kinds of areas that do that, not just social, but even people's. We can go down the rabbit hole into their habits, which are creating open loops, and their habitual thoughts, and yeah, like we can go way down that rabbit hole. But yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, like we'll have to do a, like a completely different topic or a podcast on open loops because it's probably one of like like the silent killer, like the number one silent killer of, entre- of entrepreneurs because it saps your productivity, happiness, your mental state. And we don't really know how to vocalize what it is, but it's just basically every little thing on your mind that has been weighing you down. So whether it's, you know, uh, painting the wall, uh, filing taxes, whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. it's going to it's gonna eat up at the space that you have. Um in terms of like your mental ability to make decisions. Yeah, that, that's actually huge. Like just little things. Like there was a point where I would just not want to answer the phone because there were bill collectors calling, you know, and this constant kind of like source of anxiety. I'm like, Oh, like, Oh, a, they're calling me about my credit card or this or that. And that actually takes so much energy away from you. And it would be a good conversation for another time. Man, the example I gave was a few weeks back. I had to file. I had to file an insurance claim uh, for a rental car that I rented. There was like a little scratch in the bumper, and I hate dealing with insurance people, right? Claims adjusters, adjusters, sorry. 
And I was spending weeks just putting it off because I hated it. And then it was just eating away at me. Every time I was trying to sleep or do another task, I'd be like, God damn it, I have to do this stupid insurance claim thing. Mm-hmm. And then once I eventually did it, like just getting that one task off my plate improved my energy so much. Yeah. Right. So, you know, my advice to guys is always, you know, get down every open loop that you have, you know, in your brain onto a piece of paper, prioritize, and you can honestly probably cancel half of them. Right. And it's going to make your life a lot better. Sure. You'll still have a list, but the idea isn't to clean the list or get rid of it. It's just to make it more manageable, put it onto paper. So it's off your mind. Yeah. I I was going to, I was going to mention that's when you mentioned that, but you know, every morning I, I write on a little sticky note, my to-do list, you know, it's, you know, I'm going to do, I'm going to write this email. I'm going to send this email to our list. I'm going to write this Facebook ad. I'm going to, you know, do X, Y, Z. And what I found is if I put too many down, it stresses me out <laughs> and I get to the end of the day and I look at my list and if there's one that's not crossed off, I'm like, oh, fuck. And it, it like, it creates an extra source of anxiety for me. But, um, yeah, I think one of the, the hazards that we could fall into if you're like a super quote unquote productive person is just going way off the deep end and to do lists and just putting way too many, you're opening way too many loops. Basically, if you, I find for myself, if I have more than three or four, I'm going to get kind of freaked out. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I used to struggle with open loops for the longest time. Again, the big one for me back when I was, you know, first starting out was those bill collectors. They would call me up every day and I would hang up. I'd be like, maybe they'll just go away. Right. But I'd be sitting there sometimes. And even if it was like, like, let's say back in the day, I was doing something that I enjoyed, right? Like, uh, let's say I was playing video games, right. Or, or reading a good book. Um, Mm. I would be sitting there happy. And then all of a sudden I would get this thought about a bill collector and I'd be like, Oh God, it just ruins my energy for the rest of the day. So even though like open loops are a pain in the ass to deal with, you're going to be much better off if you just get them on paper, deal with them as soon as you can, right? It's going to make your mental, uh, it's just going to clear a lot of mental space, make you a lot happier. Um, I guess one more thing I want to talk about before we hopped off, because it's been 58 minutes and, and Ben and I actually have a coaching call in like three minutes is uh, maybe talking a little bit about, you know, like energy management versus versus time management and some productivity stuff. Because a lot of guys who might be listening, you know, they have all these great business ideas, but they don't know how to execute because there isn't enough time in the day. They aren't running efficiently. They aren't being productive. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe, you know, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So energy management versus time management. It's, yeah, you're the... (laughs) the one who's gone deeper in the stuff than I have. But I, I would say from my own experience, you know, there's obviously certain tasks which are easier to do than others. Even if I go, let's say I plan out my full day the, the, in the morning or the night before I start work, I'll look at my list and uh, let's say I put a number besides each task. Like I want to do this. This is the first thing I have to do. And then this one's the second thing. And this is the third. Usually it's it goes in terms of what are the revenue generating activities, which ones are going to actually put money in the, in the bank. Um, even still, even if I put, you know, let's say writing content as fourth or fifth, sometimes I'll still do that first, you know? So I think for myself and for other people, sometimes we can get in the trap of just, I'm not sure this is exactly going on the same topic as what you suggested, but just doing things which aren't direct needle movers just because, um, it's uncomfortable or something in it, uh, I don't know. Maybe explain a little bit about what you had in mind. 
Yeah. So I think the biggest thing that people have to keep in mind is, you know, they always focus on managing their time, right? Like I have to do this by this certain time and this by, you know, that certain time. Um, but the one of the most important things, and again, I, I recommend you guys read this book called The Power of Full Engagement, is that, you know, the, the fundamental kind of currency of being a productive person or a high performer isn't the time in your day because we all have the same amount of time, right? So it's like, why does some get done more or why does some people get done more than others? And it's because they're focused on managing the, their energy. Mm-hmm. And the best analogy is a sprinter versus a marathon runner. If you look at a sprinter, again, they're they're in shape. They have these short bursts of, you know, high intensity focus. Um, and marathon runners are super skinny and gangly looking and nobody wants to be a marathon runner, right? Sure. Uh, my grandma is a marathon runner and she breaks bones every time she falls. So anyways, the whole idea is that like to to operate in a way which which focuses on energy management. So scheduling your days into blocks versus long periods, right? And just focusing on active rest and recovery in between work periods is, is really what we preach to our clients as well, right? It's just managing your energy in a proper way. So not only like your like your mental energy by closing open, open loops, but also just by eating good food, by getting good sleeps, and then organizing your day in a way that lets you be fulfilled in areas outside of work, basically. I know it's a little bit kind yeah. of out there, but... Yeah. Yeah. And the, you know, scheduling your, like we do the six week sprints, you know, six weeks of hard focus work and two weeks kind of relax or two weeks off. We usually don't take the two weeks off, but, you know, we kind of ramp it down a bit. I think that's, you know, in terms of yearly rhythms, it's really helped us a lot. And thinking back now that you mentioned it, um, when I was a freelance copywriter, you know, if you asked me to write copy all day, I wouldn't be able to do it. Like there's, I, I knew for myself, there's a certain time of day when I was the most like creative. So like usually it's around between two to 4 PM. That's when I would want to spend all my time doing like writing copy. And in the morning I would probably want to do my, just cause my brain hasn't really <laughs> switched on yet. I was never really a morning person. I would rather do things which are like um, almost like the grunt work or, you know, it's like probably not even how we would teach our clients now, because usually we say, Hey, get the, get the hardest thing done first. Right. So, um, but for me, I, I would just, because I knew how I, I worked, I would do, I would schedule my days like that. Yeah. And like, I, I used to, I actually, I think another big, a big thing is to, uh, to find out what your, what your sleep chronotype is. Because a lot of us, like we fight our biology um, when in reality, you know, it's all dictated by a sleep chronotype, which will dictate how you schedule your day. So again, like I used to fight my, my biology and my energy would always be low. But then when I found out what my sleep chronotype was, you know, I started scheduling my day in a way that kind of optimized for that. And I found that I was naturally working or I was working when my energy levels were naturally higher, right? Because when you don't fight your biology, things just work way easier. Yeah. Who was it? Uh, somebody in our old mastermind had a quote, when biology and mindset meet in a fight, biology always wins. Like you can't out, you can't trick your biology with your mindset or you can't sustain it at least, you know, at least you yeah, like okay, there's cranking 16 hours yeah. a days, like, like a million hours a week for years and decades. Like you have to look at him and be like, man, like how, like how much time does this guy have? You know, he's just like, it looks like he's just burning himself out at both ends, but who knows? Maybe that's 
his chronotype allows that. But yeah, it's, it's a great point. Great thing to, to yeah. look into. There's, there's definitely a certain threshold for which you, for what you can control, right? It's like if you're running like a marathon, right? Your mind can only push you so far before like your body actually gives up, right? So, um, and like the long-term effects of fighting against your biology are, are terrible, right? In terms of like not getting enough sleep, not getting enough energy replenishment. Um, but I think that's a good place to kind of lead this podcast. We'll have to do another one later when we have some more time. Mm. Um, is there anything else you want to add or did you pretty much cover broadly mostly what you wanted to? Yeah, I think we've covered a lot, you know. Um, I don't really have anything else to add. Thanks for listening if if you're catching us now. So, um, yeah, with that said, you can just hop yeah. off. Yeah, guys. Uh, we'll see you on the next one.